Hey Valiants, this is Kelsey and you're listening to Valiantly Spoken. Today I'm talking with Mark York, class of 09, about his life and work as a Buddhist monk. So Mark, tell us about your life path after VC and how you came to where you are now. It kind of turns into basically my why I'm a Buddhist spiel, which I get now and again because, you know, not growing up in the... Um, in a Buddhist family, everyone kind of, in, if you're not in the dominant culture of religion, it's always interesting to me, like, how did you end up here doing what you're doing? And especially as a monk, um, I get that a lot. Like, what, what, what went on to have you end up here? So uh, I usually actually started with graduating high school, and I broke up with my then-time sweetheart. We dated in high school, and then we broke up, and uh, I was feeling fairly miserable when I went to college in some sense about that. And... Uh, I started wondering what a good way to live would be and, uh, you know, wondering about love and all these things and uh, what would be a good path in life. And I found out when I was at university, I went to the University of Oregon, um, made friends, lots of acquaintances in the dorms, you know, that whole experience. And I became pretty aware that no one seemed very happy. (laughs) Everyone had a good plan is what I found. I haven't had a good plan to like make it work. And uh, that didn't feel very satisfying to me. And so I just started reading more philosophy and kind of being curious about um, what kind of a good path could look like. And then in one week, the word Zen was said around me a whole bunch of times. I think every day for a week, someone would say, oh, what a, that Zen master or that's so Zen. And uh, I didn't even know it was Buddhism at that time. I thought it might've been completely different things or had never really thought about it. So uh, like any good student at university, I went to our library and checked out a few books, many of which I came to learn later are not popular at all. And like we had a terrible selection at the UFO of this, about these, this subject. Um, so I read some pretty out there books that nobody had ever heard of, uh, but it really uh, grabbed me. And the thing that really got me was uh, everyone said you have to taste it to yourself, for yourself. You have to taste it for yourself. And you do that by meditation and meeting a teacher and you have to practice. No one can give you the answers in life. And that was pretty intriguing. It felt like a pretty honest answer um, rather than giving some sort of formula for going forward. So that summer I, I ended up going to a Zen Buddhist monastery outside of Portland. Uh, I Googled Zen Buddhist monasteries in Oregon and that was the first one that came up and they had a free summer program. And I ended up out there and it was, I think I can say one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I've never really sat for any long period before, sat in meditation. And so actually that morning, I think entering the hall like 4.30 in the morning, uh, I had to leave because I thought I was going to throw up. <laughs> my body was so averse to sitting quietly and my mind was just spinning. And someone came out and checked on me and made sure I was okay. And said, okay, when you feel better, you can come back in when you're ready. <laughs> So I made my way back in and I, I sort of managed to hold on. And uh, throughout that month, I felt really inspired by the people who lived that way, particularly the clergy, the monks and nuns training there. And, uh, they seemed to be able to smile with their whole bodies. They seemed to uh, just be able to drop what they were doing on a dime and look at you and give you their full attention. And I pretty much decided, I was like, oh, I want what they're having. <laughs> and I'd be like, well, how did you become like this? And they said, oh, it's the practice. It's being around my teachers. It's being in community and uh, sitting meditation and uh, striving to live a good life in this, in this community. 
So then I came back to U of O and they had told me about a temple here in town. They said there was a good teacher around. And uh, so I wandered into this little temple here in Eugene and uh, pretty quickly decided that uh, this guy here, my teacher's name is Ejo, uh, Patrick McMullen, and uh, I pretty much decided he was my guy. And so then for the next four years while I was finishing up my degree, uh, I, started soci I studied sociology and psychology and uh, I was living here off and on and uh, kind of got closer and closer to the center, started coming to more and more things, making it here earlier in the morning and then eventually moved in and um, decided I had the, the bug to become a priest. I, I felt pretty sure about that, but decided to leave for a little bit to see if it still was alive in me. And it was after a year, so I came back, and it was about four or five years ago. And then uh, decided to move back and have really been here ever since, um, besides for a few stints in uh, different monasteries in Japan. And it was just a little over a year at two different monasteries in Japan. So otherwise, my life here basically looks like I'm a, feels like a, I'm the kind of on-the-ground manager for a small religious nonprofit. <laughs> so fueling various projects, and now we have uh, four other monks in training, and I'm the one who's been here the longest, so it's sort of by de facto I'm the most senior in that situation, which is wild to me because there are these phenomenal beings who I get to work with and, and, and help guide, and uh, yeah, we learn together, we practice together, and we sort of make this community turn, and that means daily practice here, so we start meditating at five o'clock in the morning, uh, Monday through Friday, and sit for a couple hours, have a service, have a ritual breakfast together. And we have tea and just chit chat for about an hour or so. Well, it's maybe a little less than that. Sometimes it goes that long. And we find useful things to do and have a couple services throughout the day. And uh, right now I'm studying for different classes that I'll be teaching um, the coming six weeks or so. Communications, meeting people who wanna come and practice here and emailing and such. So what kind of misconceptions are out there about Buddhism? You know, the thing that's coming to me right now, um, something I really appreciate is uh, I was in Mr. Braun's class and uh, taking his world religions class and we were learning about Catholicism. You know, actually this may have happened later. Uh, I would come back, I've come back a couple of times and spoken in his class uh, just about Buddhism and such. And he had this slide up about Catholicism one day and, he, and there's, there's somewhere in the catechism that says something along the lines of, even when God chooses to directly reveal herself to you, she is completely and utterly beyond your grasp and your understanding. And I was like, wow, that's a big statement. And uh, I think that kind of uh, deep wonder for, for um, religion, for, for God, for the path, for Buddha, um, is something that's so unifying, I think, between, between all different religions. And, uh, and uh, I think sometimes in, the, in many people, many people will say that Buddhism is not a religion uh, because it's non-theistic, which actually is interesting. There are lots of different gods that are talked about, but the framework for what a god is is completely different than in a religion that's focused towards a theistic, you know, a deity. Um, in, in relationship with that particular deity as a spiritual practice. Uh, whereas in Buddhism, um, Buddha was a, a person uh, who attained uh, some deep realizations that are fundamental to um, the world we live in. And uh, so 
that 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 kind of wonder is still here in Buddhism, that deep appreciation. Whereas I think some people can think, oh, it's just it's this kind of it's just a philosophy, it's just a way of life, which is true, I would say. Uh, but and there's this part um, in directly in Buddhist teaching that's the the world is utterly beyond your ability to know it or figure it out or grasp it. Um, and practice and uh, spiritual practice looks like coming closer and closer to that. Um, but then again, you find that the people who tend to seem the closest to it admit how far they are away from being able to understand it. And so, of course, sort of uh, hold it in my head, be able to pin down what, what it is. I'd love to hear what the Buddhist perspective is on embodying love and being beings of love. I think one way that it's often talked about in Buddhism is something called skillful means. So I was actually talking with um, someone the other day and he was like, well, aren't I right about this situation? Isn't this person like, haven't they kind of wronged me in this way? And I'm able to feel sort of upset about that and let them know. And I said, yeah, in one sense you are. Um, but in another sense, what makes me feel best about life is when I'm able to uh, assess what's really helpful for someone and make sure I'm just not settling some kind of chip for me. Like, I just feel kind of frustrated at you, so I'm going to let you know. Uh, you know, that has its place. But another side being, I, I sense your kind of capacity and how you see the situation. I feel like you're missing out on this side of it. And I'm going to let you know about that and hopefully give it to you in a way that you can digest in a way that's helpful for your life and for mine. Not just, I have the truth, I have what's right, I'm gonna let you have it now. It's, it's okay, how do I become a teacher in this situation? And then learn from what you have to say, learn from what you have to see. And that in Buddhism, or my understanding of this idea of skillful means is, uh, is another way we can talk about love. That, you know, that's very easy when we're talking about children, for example. I think everyone puts, puts that on right away. And people are, for the most part, I think really wonderful around children that way. But uh, how do we do that with ourselves? Different parts of us ourselves that we're frustrated and not just say, man, you're really an idiot back there. <laughs> like, you're so dumb, you know, like let ourselves have it, but say like, oh, you missed some things. And let's, let's work on that. And how do we do that with people we respect, people we have difficulty with, people we're very, very, very close to? Um, how do we keep this kind of attentive, uh, curious, loving presence with people where we're uh, centering on our relationship with them and how to be truly helpful. And so I think this in uh, Buddhism is really one way we talk about that, that that love is really flexible and looks like different things all the time. So it can look like something that's very uh, sharp and in the moment it has to be a quick kind of telling of something. At other times it can be something more spacious and open, but that we're always playing in this realm of how to be deeply helpful for people and in that way, we're, uh, we're trying to love everything we come and encounter with. Yeah, that's so important right now. Um, with all the divisiveness we have going on, it's a struggle, I think, for a lot of us. Something I was just talking with a friend about today, she called up and this person was having a really hard time. And of course, I'm a clergy, so we get into, a member of clergy, and we get into this conversation. And uh, she was talking about, it seems like we often have the idea that uh, if I'm doing it right, if I understand things as they are, I will not feel bad. I won't have feelings that are bad. <laughs> I, will, I will just experience the light um, of, of a good life. 
but I think another side of this love that we're talking about, this kind of fierce love that I think uh, religious practice is kind of trying to hold us to the fire of, and meditation certainly is uh, putting you very intimate with something that's present all the time, is that we're deeply held. And sometimes that holding of the entire world in our deep heart is, uh, it's, uh, it doesn't look nice. <laughs> and in fact, it's, very, it's quite painful. And how do we learn, how do we learn uh, to not just run around that? It's so easy, I think, in spiritual practice and a religious life to um, start identifying with needing to feel good or recognize that, oh, then I'm just doing it wrong. I need to, uh, I need to take out the hammer and beat into shape a few pieces of this. But actually, what does it mean to put your, your hand on whatever sharp part of your own self, of another person's life, of our culture, these really uh, pieces of pain and uh, bleed a little bit, you know, bleed a little bit with what that is and uh, don't push it away. Yeah, that's such a hard concept is that there's no good without bad and we have to experience the duality of both in, in this world. In uh, Buddhism, we're really, I'm actually studying about this quite a bit right now for a class I'm about to teach on fundamental Buddhist teachings, but there's a really important teaching called the Wheel of Life. Uh, where there are said to be, and the Buddha apparently, I haven't read this uh, from the direct source yet, but he said something like, this image should be in every Buddhist monastery because it's what I see when I look at the world and uh, human hearts in life. And it's this circle, it's supposed to be the Lord of death holding this mirror that's shining back to living beings what life is. And supposedly after you die, you look in this mirror and you see um, the what's coming next for you with the energies you've lived in this life. So tying in the teachings of karma and rebirth, um, which can also be thought of uh, within a day, within an hour, within after eating six pieces of pizza, like what energy is that going to like roll your whole being into? Uh, but these realms are, there's the human realm, the realm of uh, heavenly gods, the realm of fighting spirits, the realm of hungry ghosts, the realm of uh, hell, and the realm of what's left one, animal realms. And it said that uh, if we just follow the objects of those realms, we're just gonna, uh, and the natural kind of instincts in those realms, we're just gonna circle around forever. That when you're, when you're at the bottom, you just wanna get out. <laughs> then you start, um, you start living a little better, you start to figure a few things out, you get into the human realm, you get some sort of agency around you, then you've done all these good things, you go into the heavenly God's realm, you feel good, you sort of disconnect from the difficult aspects of life. You become a little bit ethereal. I think we all know this feeling, uh, you have a birthday party, you just had a piece of cake, you're running around with your friends. Yeah, so I'm basically like six on most weekends. <laughs> and um, then what happens after that? You sort of disconnected with uh, a sort of even keel of life and you tumble down into some kind of like, oh, your body's not feeling so good you become a little frustrated, you hop onto Facebook, you scroll for a couple hours thinking in the, in the realm of the hungry ghosts, you think that things outside can fill you up. That's the main delusion of these hungry ghost characters. And uh, uh, they're depicted as beings with uh, huge stomachs that are suffering from malnutrition and tiny throats. And when they try and drink water, the water turns into blood or pus or fire because they've forgotten how to receive true nourishment, which can't just come from the outside. It has to be a kind of love that goes both outside and inside, a kind of uh, full intimacy that uh, gives the real uh, 
healing juice to life. And uh, if we, uh, where was I going with this whole story? <laughs> yeah, so this love, I think this love that we're talking about in, in being able to uh, embrace the difficult parts of life and not just run away from what's bad and try and grasp onto what's good. That project is just going to lead to in Buddhism what we call cyclical existence or samsara. You'll never be able to fill that void because everything's changing all the time. You'll never just feel good all the time. So how do you learn to uh, stay with what's difficult for ourselves and for, for everyone? And I think if people, if we're going to talk a little bit more about Buddhism here, and I think people are all pretty curious about meditation these days. You know, there's lots of uh, neat brain science out there. Mindfulness is kind of a, a neat buzzword going around. Um, and not to poo-poo that at all, but uh, it's a really important thing that I think is uh, uh, entering people's lives. And that uh, this meditation is just, particularly in my school of Buddhism, uh, it's said to be that there's no there's no particular goal but intimacy. So in many uh, types of meditation, we like concentrate on your breath, deepen it, do these kinds of things to your breath to, fa to facilitate an effect. And we have a teaching from one of our founders that says, let a long breath be long and let a short breath be short. Let a long breath be long and let a short breath be short. And so that doesn't seem like it gives you very much to go off. <laughs> you're sitting down and you're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Um, but really, it's pointing to an intimacy. It's saying, stop living by an idea that you will be able to pin it down and stop relying on creating an experience. But really, the truth of life or God or Buddha, uh, if we believe we're intimately held, which I think many of us would like to say we believe that, then um, I don't have to create a particular experience. The speaking, we're being spoken to all the time. So wherever you are, whether you're in that hell realm, whether you're just, you're in that scrolling through Facebook, if you just stop and listen, being like, what am I being told? What am I being talked to about? Can, I, can you develop those ears to hear um, where there can be a kind of immediate liberation? Not just once I get my stuff figured out, then, then I can, I'll hold that down, I'll hold that fort down, and I'll be good for the rest of my life. That doesn't seem like a very good plan. Definitely. And I think so much of meditation or mindfulness, um, it's really hard to let go of control for a lot of people. Someone I'm really enjoying reading right now, he's a post-Jungian fellow, um, so really interested in uh, archetypal psychology in the mind, and he uses the word soul fairly often. Um, he says that when we have um, symptoms of um, psychopathology, so you're, you're up to something you don't really like. <laughs> so I don't know if you sit down in meditation ever, and you're like, hmm, my mind is not such a flattering place right now. <laughs> I'm worried about really petty things. I'm trying to, um, you can just sense the way the mind is trying to corral life into a shape that it wants it to look like or is ruminating over things it doesn't like. Um, this, this person I'm reading right now, he's saying that the soul pathologizes in order to uh, talk to us about what we need to pay attention to and what we need to touch and become close to. And uh, Jung has this great saying that I'm really enjoying right now, that you are, 
Your hell is everything you've excluded. Your hell is everything you've excluded. And so I find that when I go down to sit meditation, um, there's a world waiting for me <laughs> that I'm usually uh, putting a fair amount of effort into ignoring. That it's actually all this work to um, be moving quickly enough. I'm, I tend to do list quite a bit. <laughs> I tend to get, uh, I wrap myself in the practical human realm fairly often, say like, well, I'm just gonna get it all done and, and blast through it all and then we'll be great. Um, and then I watch all these pieces of my heart I've been slicing off along the way to do that. Where's the place I didn't slow down and listen to something I needed? Where's the place where uh, there was a kiddo outside and they were looking um, like they could have had someone just to come see how they were doing. But, but I ignored that slight, very quiet call to be present and aware and slow. Mostly it's slow. <laughs> and I think meditation, uh, you know, that, that giving up of control is uh, learning to listen to the places that we've excluded. Um, and once we've, we learn to listen to those places, we can um, become more whole, become more whole. Yeah, that's beautiful. If there's a, one piece of wisdom that you could have everybody understand, what would it be? We have a sign, um, a little altar outside that's a pillar of basalt. And it said that one of the earliest symbols for the Buddha was uh, a footprint, footprint, nothing else. And it says something about, uh, it says the way, the way is right under your feet. Now, wherever you are, uh, there's uh, the profundity of life is of life and death. The importance of that is calling at you vibrantly. And I think our task is, uh, is simply to watch that and attend to it as we can. Yeah, and so I, uh, I think a lot of people are really suffering right now. And I think that could also have been said for all of time. <laughs> and yet we are, we are here at our particular uh, flavor of that suffering and uh, have particularly um, opportune moments to rise to meet that that suffering and um, bring compassion and, and wisdom to the world. So if anyone's curious about your temple, where can they find information? Yeah, you could just search Buddhist temples in your gene. We're called Buddha Eye Temple. Got some great videos. The folks here are working really hard to make our videos pretty. And I woke up the other morning and my Dharma brother, so my, uh, a monk who's also training here, he'd gotten up early to uh, film the moon setting behind the trees. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing, Joichi? And uh, it's like, you know, we have these, like, we need intro videos or we need little intro, cool intro scenes for all the videos. So, I think there's, if people are interested in Buddhism, there's just so much, so many great teachers and so many great teachings out there. Then find a community. And I side with the Dalai Lama on this and that there are awakened people everywhere of every religion. And if you feel inspired by someone, just go hang out with them. <laughs> and can I be here? And if they say no, then you go find someone else. Any last parting words? It would be so well. Good luck with all things. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark. If you're curious about Mark's temple, check out the link in the podcast description. As always, Valiantly Spoken is sponsored by your Alumni Advisory Committee. We'll see you next time, Valiants.